Uh, go ahead and stand, if you will. We're going to, for the honoring of the Lord's Word, we always want to make sure that we make sure that in our minds and our hearts that this is central to our hearts and our, to our lives. So we stand for the honoring of the Lord's Word. So stand with me if you are able. So this is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off men and women and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Lord Jesus, preach your word this morning through me. Lord, fill me with your anointing to bring your word, to bring a, a good interpretation of it, Lord Jesus. And Lord, a, an application for our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would be stirring in our hearts, each one of us, to apply it to our own lives that you have given us. Lord, with the breath in our lungs that you have given us every single day. God, enliven and, and uh, Lord, activate our steps for your glory and for our joy and for the furthering of your kingdom. Lord, bless us now. Open up our hearts and minds to hear and to perceive and to put in action the things that you are saying in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. <coughs> have you ever been in a fight? Raise your hand if you've been in a fight. Anyone ever been in fisticuffs? Not just like you're arguing, but like, you know, you know. <laughs> right so think about this so there's a there's a uh, there's a there's a tv show called community and this guy jeff winger he's the main character and he's a pretty boy of the show and he's like i've never been in a in a in a fight before i've never been punched in the face before probably just because i have such a great personality <laughs> and i feel, i kind of feel like that you know i haven't ever been in a fight I mean, I've been in like a kid's rumble back when I was a kid with my, with my neighbor, Aubrey. And, uh, but, you know, you know, kid-ish fight, fight-ish, you know. But then we, you know, went back to, you know, being best friends. We're fine. <laughs> I might have gone home for the rest of the afternoon, but he was my neighbor. And my really, only my close friend that was right there, you know, <laughs> I could just go and play with. So we, got, we made up really quick. Um, there was one time, <laughs> have you ever been in a fight with your sibling? Who's ever hit their sibling? Right. My sister and I had one fight in my entire lives. It was in the back of our, of our van at like 3 in the morning. Silence. Because I didn't want to disturb my dad, who's driving, hyped up on caffeine, in the middle of the night, my grandparents in the middle seats, you know, coming back from Las Vegas. And <laughs> so we're sitting in the back there, and I was so tired. So I was like, threw my head on my sister's shoulder, and she was like, and I was like, and like put it like down in her lap. And she's like, like just wailing on my head. And I was like, we're silence. And I was like, over there. Like, on, the, on the window. It was the only fight that we've ever, ever really been in. But so the question is, think about it in our lives. There's fighters. There's the challengers. There's, you know, they say that when conflict comes, when, when crisis happens, you respond. You know, there's two ways, but there, most people are now agreeing there's three. A, you either fight. You're a fighter. You're that fighter. 
or you're the, the you're the flight, the flighty one. You free, you you flee the situation. You run away. The next one is you freeze. You're just like, eh, I don't know what to do. You just freeze in the moment. So are you a fighter? Or do you engage? You know? Or do you run away? Like Monty Python? Run away! Run away! So Robin ran away. Do you go silent or apologize? Profuse, do you try to apologize, apologize, or stop talking altogether? Do you, do, you, do you freeze? The question I have for us this morning that I want us to think about as we get going here, as we read this passage about Saul, how do we respond to violence and persecution when our faith is at stake? When your faith is being challenged, when your life is being threatened because of what you say you believe, how do you respond? Persecution is here. And it's coming. Let me say that again. Persecution is already here in our world and our culture. And more is coming. More is on the way. Persecution. You might be like, you know, saying, well, nothing is going to happen, Alan. Stop being so dramatic. Come on now. Right? Come on. It's the U.S. We're a Christian nation. Right? What bad can happen? Stop being such a conspiracy theorist, Alan. <laughs> Something I've learned over the, last, over the course of the last few years is that nothing is too crazy for our world. And most of the conspiracy theories are becoming conspiracy fact. More, just give it a few days. <clears throat> it's already here. Persecution in our world, in our country, in our city, is already here. We just try to kind of blend in more. Like, oh no, it's not. That's not. It's not. Not bad. And that's not as bad as you're talking about. Stop being over dramatic. Like I tell my my daughter all the time. Stop being over dramatic. Come on. But it's not maybe in the way that you think. It's not agendas being pushed against the church or American Christian culture. It's far deeper than that. Far more expansive that, than that. Persecution so much so that we're agreeing with some of it and participating in it. Let me just go on to say that persecution simply means any effort to silence the gospel. And I think the church is unfortunately one of the main proprietors of persecution in our culture today. Our willingness to be silent with our faith as people die and perish. We are silencing the gospel. Because we want to be liked in our job. We want to be fit in our families. We have our group of friends that we're comfortable with. It's much deeper than we think. Let me talk about Saul of Tarsus. 
the Saul of Tarsus, who will become Paul. Who will become Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ and author of about half of the New Testament itself. The New Testament letters. So this guy, Saul, um, was... So let's, let's kind of like talk a little bit about him and the history. So back in the day, so he was probably of the... The, the, the synagogue of the freedmen, like we've been talking about, the people who uh, may have been slaves in the Roman Empire, and uh, they were they're freed, either them or, their, or he was probably a kid of one of them as well. Because remember, he was Roman. Hey, Barb. Psst. Barb. Barb. We're started. Yes, we started. Love you. Yes, but... No one hear me. Yes. <laughs> so, so he was of the synagogue of the freedmen. The synagogue of the freedmen was, as we talked about a few weeks ago, was a synagogue of people who had either been freed from slavery. These may have been Jewish men, or they may have been people who simply loved the Lord. But they were, this, the synagogue was put together by people who were once slaves and were now free. Hence the name, free, Synagogue of the Freedmen. But it could also have been their kids. Because remember, you know, Saul himself was Roman by birth. If, we'll talk about this later on in Acts chapter 16. When he's beaten, and he's like, so is it lawful for you guys to beat a Roman citizen? They're like, oh no, we, what, what, have we, what have we done? Because they could actually be killed because they tortured him, a Roman citizen, and that was outside of their purview. So he was born a Roman citizen, and so he may have been part of this, this group of people that had gone and questioned Stephen, couldn't argue with him, and then got so mad that they killed him. Because remember, this guy Saul, you know, he was there. He didn't throw a stone. He just sat there and collected the coats. And, he, and by, by doing so, he agreed with what they were doing. As he said, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, the kind of guy that Jesus himself would have some words for. Like, we go and talk, guy. <laughs> he was a disciple of Gamaliel. Now, this Gamaliel guy, we've, we've seen in a in few, few chapters ago. Um, so Gamaliel, uh, which is very interesting because he was actually a pacifist, which is probably why Paul didn't throw a stone. Paul didn't participate in the violence against the church, but he agreed with it. So he was pacifist and passive. And so, he, so that's probably why he was there. That's why he did what he did. Um, but we talked about Gamaliel in that, so several weeks back with Peter and John. They were arrested before preaching yet again in the name of Jesus, and they wanted to kill them. But Gamaliel is like, whoa, whoa, guys, let's calm down here a little bit. Again, remember pacifist. But he said, we all know that you know, there are all, the, all these things come and go, right? So if it's not of God, it's going to go away. We're not going to worry about it. We don't have to worry about it. But if it is of God, we might actually be fighting against God himself. And that ain't good. But, so this guy was super, super devout. He had a strong desire, like all religious people do, to be faithful to Yahweh. They do. Sometimes I think the Pharisees even get a bad, such a bad rap for it, too. They loved Yahweh, many of them. 
They wanted to be so faithful to him. Others were just simply driven by fear. Fear or arrogance. They were driven by wrong motive. But I think you know, Paul was one, he was voracious, he was zealous, he, which he'll tell us later on in, in his, his letters. He was young and enthusiastic. He was a student of the law. And he was so good at it that he got to study under one of the best and most prominent authorities in all of Israel. You didn't get to that place if you were just kind of a so-so person, undriven, unmotivated, not a very good student. Like this dude was motivated. This guy was driven to be faithful to Yahweh, to learn the Bible, to memorize Torah. He was passionate about his faith. Super passionate about his faith. He knew the Bible left and right and up and down and inside and out. This guy, Gamaliel, was even such a powerful authority among the religious elite that he could sway their decisions from killing Peter and John to, to just simply beating them and letting them go. He had such powerful sway over the chief priests and the high priest himself because he talked directly to him. And so Saul, spoiler alert, becomes Paul, right? Becomes Paul, of Tar- Paul the Apostle. It's so funny. Uh, so we have a friend, uh, Mindy Espinosa, who came to faith in Jesus about two years ago. And when she was first reading through the Bible, she got to the point and she was like, man, that Saul is a jerk. Someone needs to kill him. She kept reading. She's like, oh, my bad. I just killed God's anointed apostle. Shoot. (laughs) So we learn about his character from himself. So we look at his testimony when he wrote to the, the Philippians in chapter three. He says this. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, who's basically, you know, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Acts chapter 22, which we'll get to in a couple years. Uh, I am a Jew born of what? Tarsus. There it is. In Cilicia. Again, why we know he was probably amongst this group named that killed Stephen. But brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way, that's the church, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. He just testified in his own lips. He had blood on his hands. He never felt worthy. He always, he writes about it all the time. The least of all apostles, and one, you know, who should never have been an apostle in the first place. Right? Because the persecution was so great that he caused all this ruckus. He caused arrests, death. So he said, both men and women. 
He didn't spare them. He sought and made sure, secured the death of many. Thousands, maybe. Because there were thousands of believers in Jerusalem. The persecution that he caused starting this day, I mean, literally came out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden, if we walked out this door, and all of a sudden there was a whole slew of officers ready to arrest us. We're like, wait, what just happened? Like, what? We didn't realize that there was an executive order that went into play today? This morning? What? And all of a sudden, boom! They're here at our door to arrest us. And not just to arrest us, but to kill us, to put us, to execute us. It was that quick. It was that dramatic. People are like, oh, we're safe, we're fine. We've got protections and freedom until it's taken away. It was so severe that it caused the great dispersion of the church in Jerusalem. Thousands and upon thousands upon thousands of, of people in Jerusalem who came to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, just in that one day of Pentecost alone, there were over 5,000. One day. That was just men. Not counting the women and children. And then their friends and who they told the gospel message to, the, the priests, and, and every time it said it increased, it spread and increased, it spread and increased. So all of those people, boom, dispersed, except for the apostles. And it almost seems like it sounds like he's saying everyone got out of Dodge. Everyone. And dispersed them Interestingly, back into the cities where they came. Because remember, a lot of these people came for Pentecost and stayed. Stayed and, and were part of the church. Some went back to their cities, but this really made them all go back to their cities. Even, remember this? Rome. That's like what, on, your, on your sheets there, you'll see that I, on your handout, I've placed all the places where it talks about in Acts chapter 2 that all these people had come from for Pentecost who are listening and hearing the word of God, the glories of God spoken in their own languages at the day of Pentecost. And all these people, all these thousands of people are boom, going back and all over the empire, back to Rome and Corinth and Athens and Turkey, Galatia and Athens and Antioch and all these different places. The gospel is not just, you know, God's presence has now not just left the building, He's left Jerusalem and it left Judea and it left Samaria and it left that region and went to the farthest reaches of the world, which we're going to talk about almost immediately here. And, and you know, next week, the spread of the gospel to Samaria and to Ethiopia, which is the farthest reaches of their known world. On day one of the, of the great persecution, we're doing pretty darn good. <laughs> The question is, so the church dispersed. The church, in a sense, kind of ran away, but not really. This was God's plan from the beginning. He said, you're going to be my witnesses starting here in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So as we see the church responding to this, makes us ask that question again. How do we respond to violence and persecution when the gospel is at stake, when our faith is at stake. 
I had a professor in college that said something interesting to me. He said that if, you know, he was in his classroom and some gunman came into the room. No one was there, just him, like maybe preparing for a class or something. He said, you know, renounce your faith. He'd be like, all right, whatever. And then he was like, wait, wait, what? And then walk out of the room. But he said, but if there were people there, if I had a classroom full of students, you better believe I'd say no and take the bullet for the sake of those present. Now, I'm not really sure what, if I would agree with that. Like, you know, if I would not acknowledge him before this guy who wanted me to, to you know, just one-on-one to deny my faith, right? And then there's all the other different questions that like, you know, what is persecution just simply the enemy wanting to kill us? And so using other people to like mug us. And so it's not like saying, de- declare, you know, deny the gospel. It's like, give me your money, give me your car, boom, 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 you know. But so it's like, how, how do we respond simply to violence and persecution as a person, as a, as a believer? I mean, we have, we have, you know, we have security in our church, right? We have people with guns. There are several guns in this room that I know of, you know, several. You're welcome. You're well protected. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I went, I was packing yesterday when we went down to the river. You know, there might be bears or you know, people, crazy people. You know, it is a river after all. But how do we respond to these things? How, I mean, that's a question that I think it's one that there, I don't know if there's necessarily one right answer. I think it's as God leads us and as God gives us power and gives us enlightenment, right? Like Jesus even said, he said, don't worry about what you're going to say in these moments of persecution when they lead you before councils and when they threaten your life, right? He said, don't worry about what you're going to say for it will be given to you in the moment. And I don't even just think the, the words that you're going to speak, but what you're going to do and how you're going to respond physically, emotionally. And in the moment, maybe you're the freeze person and you all of a sudden, boom, become the fighter. Maybe you're the fighter and you're going to become the freeze person. But God's going to say, shut up, dude. <laughs> I need to give you a little bit of uh, silence here because I know you've got some choice words that you want to use for these people, but how about a little bit of grace here, right? Or the flee, run away. Maybe that's what God is saying. We don't know. In the moment, but I think keeping our eyes focused on him. Because I don't know what it is. Guys, you're probably the same, but like, I imagine like taking out some dude trying to take out my family. Like I have daydreams about it. We're, I don't know why that, why that is. You know, I have daydreams of like saving the day from a bear attack or something like that, you know. You know? Because who were the violent in this narrative here this morning? Was it the church? No. No. Those who were jealous and could not, what does the Bible say? Stand up against the wisdom the Spirit had given him to speak. There was the ones who were as we used to say back in the 80s, moated. You know, someone who were silent, they had no comeback. No comeback to this. They cannot refute his words, so they overpower him with force. As a, actually a professor of mine uh, in uh, seminary said, the, le- the later miraculous transformation from, of Saul from persecutor to missionary reveals that they were up against a far greater divine power that never resorts to violence to prevail. The church will not be destroyed 
And Jesus' promise, like the promises of God throughout Scripture, will not fail. The gospel does not advance, nor is it defended by force. Because Jesus can and does take even the most harsh critics and the most shy and unsure and transform both of their lives into the most passionate lovers and proclaimers of the word of God. How? How does he do this? You. You. He empowers you with his Holy Spirit to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. He fills you with joy. He fills you with grace and mercy where everything else in our life has trained us to fight and fight with fists or fight with bullets or fight with fill in the blank. Fight with, I'm going to lash out at you with my tongue and and I'm going to abuse you, put you down. But what God does is he first does a work in you to give you grace and joy. And then that way you're in a position to give joy. So God works in you and then he works through you. As the word says, those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Those who were scattered. I said that was thousands of people who came to faith in Jerusalem and they're now leaving. Leaving Jerusalem. Regular, everyday, ordinary, blue-collar workers and people. Just ordinary folks, a.k.a. us. Us, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as they went. Because they believed it, they experienced it, they loved it. And now they wanted everyone else to experience it too. The gospel advances effectively through A, the preaching of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected. Second, or B, through the joyful confidence in its truth, relevance, and power. And C, the church cultivating a healthy culture of loving one another and walking by the Spirit. That's how the gospel advances. That's how the gospel increases. That's how I go from a, I'm scared of not saying the wrong thing, to, you need to repent and believe in the gospel and be baptized. Come join our family. It's good. Man, I tell you what, Gloria makes the best mac and cheese in the world for Pollux. It's like inviting people over to your home. Like when I was getting, when I was dating Amberlynn, like I was careful with who I dated or I was very careful with who I introduced my family to. Because as soon as I introduced them to my family, they were hooked. I had friends that were like, I love your family so much more than you. (laughs) 
as soon as I invite people to join with, with my family, with my parents and with my sister, my, just my family, they're like, your family is amazing. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and that's what I'm like with the church family. I'm like, come and invite my, you know, come and join my family. We've got crazy Uncle Eric, but he's awesome. <laughs> come and join our family. They're amazing. They're so good. They love. They're so good at not just greeting, but welcoming, making people feel welcome, loved, known, seen, wanted. That's what the church should be. The church is a, church is a family. And the church ought to be a family. That's what I love, love, love about what God is doing in this valley right now, guys. Now, our relationship with C with C three, our brothers and sisters over over there, like our brothers and sisters over at you know at the River Church and you know the Table Church that you know I saw Aubrey here this morning grabbing stuff to go take out to the Table Church, you know the the River Church and you know C three Livingston, like we have just a growing connection with churches all across our valley, and it's so beautiful because I'm seeing one family. Just hanging out in different places for worship on Sunday morning. But we're one group of people. We're one family. And we know each other. We're becoming more and more known. And that's what the church should be. And the church shouldn't be like, oh, come to my church. The, my church is the only church in town. No. Like, well, there's C3. There's the table. You can check these out. This, here's what the table's like. Here's what C3 is like. Here's what Livingston's like if you're closer out that direction. You know, here's what the river, like, river church is like if you're over on the east side of town. Or, you know, here's what Journey's like. Summit Church. Like, there's so many different places. And God can create a home for anyone at any, at any of them because they're one family. We're one family. You don't have to be an expert theologian or scholar to be able to share your faith and invite people to join the family of God. All you got to be is a family member. All you got to do is be connected. Love and be loved. Be known and involved. Because what we are in the, in the, in the faith is witnesses. We are witnesses of what God has done in this world and in our lives. We are witnesses of what we have seen, heard, and experienced. And because we only speak that which we have seen, heard, and experienced, no one can refute it. And we, have, can, we can have confidence in it. Like, no, I saw this. No, I experienced this. You can't tell me my eyes weren't healed. My eyes were healed. No one can take that witness away from me. That's what God did for me. What has God done for you? What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you experienced of God and the Holy Spirit? This is confidence. This is the confidence that the Spirit spoke through Stephen. It wasn't simply the words he spoke, but the hopeful anticipation through which he said them. He wasn't attacking the person and calling them stupid because of their decisions in life. He wasn't having an argument with someone with an agenda. 
this or that, fill in the blank, they're all over social media. He wasn't attacking their agenda. He wasn't attacking their identity or orientation. He wasn't attacking the symptom or the sin. He was welcoming them to a loving relationship with Jesus. He's saying, I see him at the right hand of God. Come, hey, look, look, he's there. look, come on, right there, he's so good. What posture are we having with our culture? Are we posturing ourselves in a way to attack the LGBTQ community? No wonder they're not coming to the church. No wonder they're not finding hope here. Because if they see us out there on social media just blasting them and making fun of them and mocking them, degrading them as human beings of people who are made in the image and likeness of God, are they ever going to think that we have the source of life and love? No. We want to bring them into a family that they feel loved and connected because we know there's something broken, but we need them to experience the healer and the, and the fixer. They don't need us to fix them. They need God to fix them. They need God to heal them. We need God to heal us. Heal our hearts. When our hearts is broken that we're having to lash out at others to feel good about ourselves. Love is the best witness because it's the love of God that's transformed our lives. Not someone in, you know, yelling and screaming in our face. There's the love and welcomeness of a family that invited change, invited transformation. The best, the best evangelist is not the skeptic that sympathizes with even the doubts of the opposition, but the joyful witness who shows the truth and the words they speak and the way in which they speak them. You know, it seems like, you know, I was a, I was a youth pastor for like pfft, 15, 20 years. I just felt that in my back. Oh. But every youth group, it seemed like, was always named after something on fire. You know, ignite, fuel, emerge, explosion. You're right? And one of the things that we always said was being on fire for God. Yeah. Got to be on fire for God. Now, that doesn't sound very enjoyable. <laughs> like, need some ointment for that. <laughs> but for us, it's, it's that... That emotion, that on-fireness, that desire, that passion, that zealousness for the gospel. That activation, as they say today. Activating our faith to put it into action. From here, from an intellectual book study, to mental ascent, to then heart knowledge, to a feet hitting the road. God kicking your booty in the key, you know, kicking you in the keister, and getting you going. Saying, Put that into action. Put that love into action. Someone should write a song on that. Put that love into action. Woo! Put that love into action. That'll get, get a little skip to our step, right? Be our, our great evangelistic song. 
I feel it. But being on fire for the Lord, being passionate and zealous for others to know the love that we've experienced, to experience what we've seen and heard and experience ourselves. So that when persecution comes and they try to throw water on us, all they do is spread the gospel further. Hence my pan. You ever cooked with oil? Right? Ever co- you know, so you, you pour in you know, your olive oil or your vegetable oil or something like that. Right? Pouring all these things into a pan. You're frying stuff. Right? And all of a sudden, oh, that fire is getting a little too out of control. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I need to take it. Where's my water? What happens? Oh, no, it's right. If you've ever seen it, it explodes. It's like... So many house fires because of that one thing. They try to throw water on an oil fire. Even if it's just a little bit in the pan. Because what that does is it spreads it. It it goes... And it could literally burn your house down. (laughs) Thankfully, no. (laughs) Baking soda or just cover it. To will help there. Okay. Okay. If you're getting an oil fire, don't throw water on it. No. Right. Baking soda or because that absorbs the, you know, blends in the oil, kind of neutralize it. Um, or just cover it and smother it. Paul, I'm sorry, Saul didn't stop the gospel. He threw water on it. He threw water on a hot oil fire. And lit the whole world on fire. Thank you, Saul. This was the whole power behind this. Imagine if it would have just stayed in Jerusalem. It became insulative. God became big in Jerusalem, whatever. But imagine if it never spread. God said that that's the whole purpose. Acts chapter 1, Matthew 28. Go to the whole what? World. Take the hope. Take the joy. Take the glory. We are glory holders. Glory carriers. As they say, firebrands who take the fire from the altar of God and spread it all around. And watch as God lights this world on fire in a good way. The fire of the Holy Spirit coming and spreading and growing, cleansing and healing everywhere it goes. Bringing flourishing, shalom everywhere it goes. Bringing God's Spirit and God's love everywhere it goes. And that comes through us. Each and every individual person of us. Because what was the point a couple weeks ago? Every member is a what? A minister. Every single one of you is a minister. From the youngest kid up to the oldest adult. You know, from, from you to Barb. Right? Everyone in the church is a minister in the body of Christ. Everyone from Jackson and Hazel and Gracie. And all the kids that are down there, to us, all of us, the oldest of us, the wisest. Master, pastor. <laughs> Master, pastor. 
Master, what is it? Bla- Master Pastor Blaster. I like that one. <laughs> Every single one of us. I'm involved, but I'm not the primary. We are all God's primary. Every single one of us has a witness, has a testimony, has a joy to share with the world. Because here's the thing. God can use anyone to spread the gospel. That's our whole point here in the sermon. God can use anyone. The violent, Saul and all the the religious oppressors, and the virtuous. The ones who are just everyday, everyday people that God has saved. The violent and the virtuous. He can, he can use anyone to further him. God can use you. And he can use your enemies. Saul was an enemy. Which God transformed into a friend. She'll get to you in a few weeks and it's super exciting. But God can. And here's the thing. God wants to use you. Write that on your papers. God wants to use me. And then below it say, how do you want to use me? Because he wants to already. All you have to ask is how. Where? Not why. God already said that because I love you. How does God want to use you for his glory, for his goodness, to spread joy, to spread love, to spread hope in a suffering world? Because we can spread joy even in the midst of trials. We can spread love in the midst of suffering. We can, we can spread hope in the midst of pain. Oftentimes even better than we could if we weren't suffering. Because oftentimes God speaks through us most through areas where we need to learn the most. How does God want to use you? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for getting our technology back and running and, and synchronized. Lord, we just I pray, God, that you would just fill us with your presence. Fill us with your spirit. Remind us every day that you're walking with us. That you're there. You haven't left us. You're always with us. You just simply want us to acknowledge your presence and to engage with you, Lord. To walk by your spirit. To walk by the, in the joy of your presence. God, use us. Use us to spread the gospel to this region. To our friends and family, to our coworkers. Lord, bring people into relationship with us that you desire to transform by the power and the goodness and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can and you want to. And Lord, I pray that you would add to the church, add to your kingdom in this region, Lord, every day those who are being saved. We love you, Lord Jesus. For it's in your powerful and holy name we pray all these things, Jesus Christ. Amen.